The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. Good morning, Central Bible Church. I realize now why I'm the guy preaching today. How can you follow that? That's not fair. I wasn't told I was going to be following boomwhackers and sheep and Mark and... It's just not fair. Andrew, Stave, all dressed up. Anyways, um, so for family service today, I just have a two-hour expositional sermon um, on the book of Nehemiah, and we'll just cruise through it, okay? Okay. No, today we will do kind of a more abbreviated, hopefully abbreviated sermon. And I just want to say, uh, as a father, if you've got kiddos in the room, if they make uh, disruptions or interruptions, they're not going to bother me, so don't let it bother you. Unless they yell out, that's not biblically correct, that's heresy, it's not going to bother me, okay? So just let it roll. Let's just kind of embrace the messiness and the fun that kids bring today, okay? Um, I want to echo what Kim said and just say to you, if you're, if you're new today, welcome um, I want to say um, on behalf of our church at Central Bible, we believe you can belong here before you believe. And we think that is um, modeled in the life of Jesus really clearly, and we hope you feel that as you um, are welcomed here this morning. Um, so I'm going to pray for my time today, and we're just going to dive in, okay? <clears throat> Jesus, we love you. Um, God, we just thank you so much for the kids in our community, the joy that they bring, the wonder, and just the fun. God, thank you for opportunities like we have today just to have a different service, to shake things up. God, I pray for myself this morning. Would you just work through me? I surrender my capacities to you completely. I give you my weaknesses and my strength that you might use me this morning. Um, Would you encourage us? And may my words and what you have for us in your word and your heart catalyze us to something new today. Uh, In your name we pray. Amen. So, in a couple days is the start of 2020, the new year. Um, Mark beat me to this joke weeks ago, but it's time for your 2020 vision. That is the joke of the year. It's so good. Um, Thank you, Lori. Thank you. That's so good. Oh, man. Yeah, I will be using that joke probably every month with all my friends. Okay. So, uh, like I said, in a couple of days, we start to plan for the new year. We look back. On 2019, we look forward in 2020, we think about what is our life going to be, what are we going to do, what are we going to do or plan for that will bring us closer to living a life we want to live. With New Year's, we do resolutions, we, do, we set goals, or we do life plans in the hope that we align ourselves through our actions more closely to what we want out of our life. New Year's is a time of new beginnings, fresh starts, and with that, it brings a lot of hope and excitement, and I think that's really good. Like, that's important to have that kind of time of renewal and renewed focus, okay? But the danger with New Year's is this. All of us could form resolutions or goals or life plans in this next couple of weeks, and we could execute on those plans perfectly, through the next year. You could hit all your markers, all your goals, but the danger here is that if you mislive your life, if Jesus is not the center 
of your planning, of your goals, of your vision for this next year, you'll mislive. So we all do things like resolutions, life plans, because we have this fear. We know this reality that our lives count for something, that we could miss it, okay? So we all want to have lives that have impact, that have meaning. And what I'm trying to say to you this morning is, if Jesus is not the center of that plan and that motivation, we will miss it. Um, If Jesus is not calling the shots for our life, we miss out on the happiness, the joy, and the satisfaction that following him will bring. Does that make sense? So if he's not centered, we could veer off course even by a couple degrees, and we're going to find ourselves way off at the end. Oh, I have slides this morning. One second. I've never done this before. Where did I put it? For you visual learners. Oh, look at that. That is so cool. Click a button. Cool. All right. Here's some scripture for you. Uh, Matthew 16, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, says this. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Paul in Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So it's really interesting here, according to Paul, according to Jesus, they seem to believe through their words that we can actually mislive our life. And behind that, it shouldn't cause fear, but... Behind that is a philosophy that as Christians, our life has meaning. Like what we do in this life matters. Through the scriptures, we, we see this, these two tensions are held um, at a balance. Jesus is the only way to salvation, and he is bringing his kingdom to earth. Okay? This is held in tension with our lives matter, and we have a role to play in bringing his kingdom to earth. Okay, this is, both these realities are scriptural. They're seen in the life of Jesus. He is the only way to salvation. He brings his kingdom. And our lives matter. And we bring his kingdom as well. Both these counterbalance one another. So as we look to this coming year, as we look to 2020 for our 2020 visions, how do we live a life of meaning and power? How do we live in a compelling way with no regrets? How do we avoid misliving our life? My answer this morning is in the title of my sermon, which is a call to hunger and a call to vision. A call to hunger and a call to vision. I want to talk first about vision. A robust, relevant, and effective Christian vision has three key elements. As we think about a vision for our lives, a Christian's vision has three key elements. A vision for God, a vision for his kingdom, and a vision for our personal discipleship. God, kingdom, and discipleship. So I want to first talk about having a true vision, a clear vision 
of God. Without vision, we can be certain of one thing. We will not get to where we want to go. Vision for our life is like the compass of our life. Or if you're a millennial, vision is the Google Maps of our life, okay? Without a vision, we will be lost. You can go hard, but you're not going to get to where you ultimately want to go. Now, most people, when they hear this, we're Americans, we're entrenched in the business world, many of us. And when we hear this, we're like, we don't argue, right? Most people agree and acknowledge we need vision for our life. But as people who follow Jesus, we not only need a vision for our life, we also need a clear vision of who God is. Why? Having a clear vision of who God is shapes our desires into his desires. And if that's true, that shapes our vision. So when we know God's heart for us and the world around us, that brings clarity to our calling and clarity to our life. If our understanding of God is off, so will our visions be. This next quote is something that's been read a bunch up front because it's so good. A.W. Tozer says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. So as we begin processing a vision for this next year, we have to first think through or remember who God is not. As you think about this next year or this last year, your failures, your successes, and you think about the inevitable failures and successes of this next year, God is not an angry father. God is not looking down at you, shaking his head, disappointed in you, wishing you would be something else. He's not an angry father. He is with you and he loves you. God is not a fire insurance policy there for you when you die so you don't go to hell, but completely absent from your day-to-day experience. As you go into this next year, you have to remember that God is with you as you go. So who is God? As we form our visions, who is God? So we can have a clear picture of who he is and a clear picture of what our lives are, are about and where we're going. God is a father who loves us. He chooses us. God adopts us into a royal family. We are his sons, his daughters, and his friends. Jesus the Son saves, redeems, and teaches us how to live. The Spirit of God empowers us, pursues us, and leads. God is love. He is patient. He is kind. He is slow to anger. He is gentle. He is the shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to find the one lost. He is the father of prodigals running out to his sons and daughters. God is ascending God. He pursues. He is not a God sacrificing his son to appease his anger. He is ascending God who sends his son and his spirit for the world to the world. He desires justice and truth and also mercy and compassion. God cares for the immigrant, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the drug addict, the liberal, and the conservative. Yes, the liberal and the conservative. He cares for you. He cares for me. He cares for the people we don't care about. 
He cares for the people we don't care about. These are the elements, my friends, that have to compose our vision of God. Because this is the God who walks with you through this next year, okay? If our image of God is a God who's always disappointed in us, we will never believe that he wants to use us. If you believe God is a loving father who sends his spirit to be with you and to empower you, then you will begin to believe to have the courage to step into his calling. The character power and person of God is the foundation on which we build our lives. So that's an image or a vision for who God is. That has to ground us through this next year. Let's now talk about a vision for the kingdom of God. A vision for the kingdom of God. To begin to have a compelling vision for our life, we must have a working theology of what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is a central theme through all of Jesus' teaching, and through the whole narrative of Scripture, it's continually coming up. It's central from Genesis to Revelation, and it has its climax in the life of Jesus. God's kingdom has come through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Jesus is lifted up on the cross, this is something I've missed a long time. It's only recently that I've started to see the significance of this part of the passion. As Jesus is lifted up on the cross, he's exalted as a king. The crown of thorns, the oil that's anointed his head, he is anointed as king. Through his resurrection, his kingdom has victory over sin and death. The kingdom of God has victory over the kingdoms of the world, the the kingdoms of evil, and the kingdoms of self. The kingdom of God has victory over all of those. But we all know this reality. God's kingdom has not yet come in its fullness. Right? Walk down the street and you will know God's kingdom has not come to this world in its fullness. And this leads to this reality that I think it's so easy to forget, maybe even convenient, because we partner with God in bringing his kingdom to completion. You and I partner with God in bringing the kingdom to completion. God brings his kingdom to the world through you and I. He works healing, redemption, and restoration through his people. If I'm honest, sometimes I wish he didn't do that. But he does, right? We, my friends, you and I, usher in the kingdom through truth, through goodness, through beauty, not through hatred or harm. Through loving our neighbor, we partner with God in this work. At Central Bible, at this church, if we only raise up leaders and people to use their gifts and their talents within this community, we will miss out on the power and influence that the church is meant to have in the world around us. A vision for, if a vision for God's kingdom is actualized in our workplaces, our families, our friendships, our hobbies, our spheres of influence and industry, then we, we will begin to glimpse what the church is meant to be. The church is brimming with redemptive potential and power. This church is brimming with redemptive potential and power that is meant to change reality. The ancient philosopher Plato 
um, brought this philosophy, this idea that the physical world is somehow a lesser form of a spiritual reality. The physical world is kind of a shadow of a spiritual realm that's complete and whole and good. Jesus and the canon of scripture are completely at odds with this philosophy. Jesus and the canon of scripture do not agree. The world, both in its spiritual reality and its physical reality, was created by God and it was good. All of life is sacred. All of life is spiritual. The kingdom of God comes to change this world, this reality. The kingdom of God has not come to create some distant, ethereal, Teletubby, fuzzy world. It's this one. It's this world and it's all its darkness and all its pain. This reality, okay? But somehow, Plato's philosophy slips into our theology as Christians. This leads often to a defeatist or escapist mentality when it comes to our role in bringing the kingdom about. We believe that God's reign in the kingdom will only come in our life after death. But this is simply not biblical. This is not the life of Jesus. A vision for the kingdom of God comes to reign right now in every sphere of our life. Art, science, social justice, our communities, our family, and our friendships. The kingdom brings power to change everything around us. And when the church gets a vision for this kingdom, then the church begins to make impact. So let's make this really practical. I try to think through what would this actually look like if we believed this and the kingdom of God came to our city. Could the strip clubs all around our town be shut down? Not through picketing or lobbying, but through a community of believers who radically loves the women and the patrons of those places so well that the need that draws men and women into those places would be met through love and compassion. Could the mental health and homeless crisis that we see every day somehow be turned around through people in this room? Could the adoption and foster care crisis of our city be met with families and generosity within the church in a radical way where Portland would not be a place of crisis but a place of modeling to other cities of how this need could be met? When we get a vision for the kingdom, Christians not only produce the best products, give the best services, produce the best art, music, and culture. We will not only throw the best parties, have the best celebrations, have the healthiest families and friendships, we will have the widest open doors, open hearts, and open arms. A vision for the kingdom of God must include you and I in the game, not on the sidelines. So that's a vision for the kingdom. Now let's move to discipleship. We have to have a robust vision of our personal discipleship um, behind our vision for life as Jesus followers. Do you have a proactive vision of your personal discipleship to Jesus? 
to pursue God's vision for our life, we must have our own proactive, our own active pursuit of him. So as I studied this, as I thought about this, discipleship has three elements I think we often miss, that I often miss. Intimacy, transformation, and commission. Three elements that have to compose our vision for discipleship. Intimacy, transformation, and commission. I have a slide for that. Oh, so nice. Jesus modeled, we'll talk about intimacy first. Jesus modeled a cyclical rhythm of running hard in his work and ministry and then running hard away to be in the Father's presence. Jesus would go at a high and heavy pace, loving, serving, teaching, and preaching, And then he would retreat, often strategically at the worst time for his brand and his fame, to be with the Father. Seeking intimacy with God was non-negotiable for Jesus. Powerful, life-changing ministry, then hidden, quiet pursuit of the Father. So what is intimacy with God? This is something we hear a lot in the church Intimacy with God, my friends, is simply attending to the relationship we have with him. Attending to the relationship we have with him. Something I tell my youth group students often is that conversation and relationship is 50-50. To have a good conversation, you have to listen. And to have a good conversation, you have to also talk, right? To have a good relationship, you have to pursue, and you also have to embrace pursuit, Okay, Jesus modeled this 50-50 mentality with the Father, pursuing God, receiving God, praying to God, listening to God, okay? So when we think about intimacy in the context of our discipleship, what rhythms and patterns and habits are we forming for this to be a part of our life? And finally, transformation. Transformation. To be a disciple of Jesus was a hands-on teaching, modeling, and empowering process. To be a disciple was a process of change. The disciple was not given a standardized test with a number two pencil, nor was the, dis- the disciple given an opportunity to share his or her insights in a Bible study, though that's good. The disciple was asked to do what his rabbi did to do what her rabbi did, to become what the rabbi was. For transformation to be a part of our vision for discipleship, we have to constantly be asking, how are we changing? Are we changing? Are we growing? How are we transforming? As we think about our visions for this next year, this needs to be a constant question throughout the next year. How am I growing to be more like Jesus? Am I acting the way Jesus would have me act in my workplace, with my kids? Am I growing in compassion? Am I growing in truthfulness? Am I growing in sensitivity to God's leading through his spirit? Are we pressing into community more? The best way to ensure change and transformation is to double down on community, my friends. The people in our community are not just there to keep us accountable, to, you know, relay on, oh, yeah, the weather's been really bad this week. Um, The people in your community are there to call out the beautiful things in each of us. 
as we begin to dream and cast vision for our lives, the people in your community should call those things out. And when you're afraid, they should push you over the edge. They should push you towards the vision you are forming. So are we being transformed? Are we experiencing change? Transformation must be a part of our vision for discipleship. My last point here, commission or sending. Jesus calls and sends peasants, fishermen, tax collectors, women, and social outcasts. Peasants, fishermen, tax collectors, women, and social outcasts. Back in that day, that was a big deal. No one had a master's degree. No one was certified. Everyone was an underdog. Everyone was underqualified. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, these people changed the world. I forget this sometimes, but you and I are literally here in this room because of this reality. We are here this morning because normal people, underqualified, embraced the call and the vision of God in their life and spread the gospel through the world. God loves to use regular people. Regular people like you and me. And I think for many of us in the room today, to begin to embrace God's commission and his sending is to give yourself permission to dream. Give yourself permission to dream. Dream about how God could use you. Dream in community. Keep yourself on track with the people around you, but then have your community commit to calling those things out, to pushing you forward to that direction. Years ago, I heard a question that changed my life. It rocked me from the inside out. The question was this. Let me pull it up. Oh, shoot. I'm behind. Do you have a high expectation that God will use you? Do you have a high expectation that God will use you? If I hadn't heard that, and embraced it in my life, I would literally not be standing here today. I would not be preparing. I would not be working through the nerves of talking in front of all of you. I wouldn't be here today. Do you have a high expectation that God will use you? As we think about God's commission and his sending and his vision, we have to start dreaming. We have to start believing that God could use me. Believing that God could use me. All right, so that's kind of the vision piece of this, of this talk, of this sermon. I want to talk now about hunger. A God-breathed vision is powerful, it's inspiring, and this kind of vision will keep us from misliving, and it will keep us on track to living the life God is calling us to live. But the reality is that vision is not enough. Vision is not enough, because the only thing that will sustain this vision or sustain the life that comes from a vision like this, is a hunger for God himself. A hunger for God himself is the only thing that will sustain this. So this is my question for us this morning as a church. Are we hungry for God? Are we hungry for God? If our community is hungrier for what God can give us than for God himself, we will miss it. I love this term hunger. I think it's really key because it's not a regal or formal word. 
it's a word of kind of a primal feeling. Do we need God? Do we hunger and long for him? Um, and this isn't meant to be a shaming question for our community. It's meant to be a question that helps us to take stock. Where are we at with this? If we go three to four hours without a meal, or if you're me or my daughter, if you go an hour, hour and a half without a meal, you feel it, right? You feel it. How long can we go without the presence of the Father in our lives? If, if I'm really honest, I can go weeks, weeks without feeling that love from him, but without feeling and being in his presence. And I'm trying to work on that. The reality is that only with a genuine hunger for God himself will we have what it takes to step into his vision for our lives. When we know deep in our bones God's overwhelming love for us, then we will have the love to carry out his vision. This scripture here for us today, this kind of gets at this philosophy that we can only give what we have received from God. John 15 says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We cannot share the love and power of God if we are first not experiencing that in our own lives. We just ended our Christmas season as a church, and every year that word Emmanuel comes back. Every year we focus on that word because it has so much depth. Emmanuel means God with us. And the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation are crying out that God just wants to be with us. Genesis to Revelation is a God pursuing, simply wanting to be with his kids. Do we want to be with him is the natural question. Is that reciprocal? Years ago, um, Amy and I were wrestling with this kind of reality. Did we want to be with God? Um, between the two of us, we've been in church for most of our lives, heard hundreds of sermons. We could tell you a lot of right answers, but that hunger for God if we were just really honest, was missing in our lives. And our prayer, we started to pray years ago, was this. God, change our desires. God, help us to want to want you. Kind of a pre-desire. We knew we didn't want him. We knew we didn't have this fire for God. So our prayer was, God, just change me into the type of person that actually wants you. Help me to want to want you. Build a fire in me now that would grow. And just really personally, we're a couple of years into praying this prayer. It's a repetitive prayer we've been praying a week in, week out, and God has been slowly answering that prayer. And it's not because we're super spiritual, it's because we've been really honest and we've tasted just enough of God to want more of Him. That's it. We've tasted just enough of Him to want more. And perhaps some of us in the room today need to join me and Amy in that prayer. God, help me to want to want you. Help me to want to want you. What might change in this church? 
what might change in this community if we really believed, if we really believed that God was real and that he was at work? Not that we intellectually affirmed that reality, but we believed it in our hearts. What would change on Sunday morning if we believed that? Would it affect the culture of our community? I believe there are many here in this church who come with a posture of guardedness. And that's understandable to a degree. We come often with arms crossed, either physically or spiritually, because we don't expect God to move, and we're not expecting him to move in us. Culture is the invisible force that can be felt but not seen in an organization or community. What would it look like for this community to move towards a culture of excitement and expectancy for God? Excitement to meet with God, expectancy and expectation that he is working and will work. If we were a community hungry for his presence Monday through Saturday, that would bring electricity into this room on Sunday. My friends, let me just remind you God is real, he is at work, and that should change our reality. That should change the experience we have on Sunday morning. So I have one takeaway for you today. I've I've given you a lot of content this morning. My one takeaway, if you had one today, is this, this question, am I hungry for God? Am I hungry for God? Through this next season, Central Bible, would we experience God's presence in a new way? Maybe for many of us, for the first time, would we see God with a fresh perspective? Would we begin to enter into his presence, not out of duty, not because that's the thing that good Christians do, would we enter into his presence out of joy and expectation and hunger? May we begin as a church to glimpse the kingdom. May we begin as a church to glimpse the redemptive potential and power that is literally within every single one, kids included, every single one of us. Would we be a community, Central Bible, that is running out to the God who is always running to us? Okay? Um, Let's have the band come up. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to enter into communion together. Um, And when they start singing, we can just stand and take that together. But I would just ask you, as we take communion today, pray this prayer, God, am I hungry for you? Ask him to reveal that to you. And break things down into the simplest non-theological terms. If God is real, is that changing anything in my life? Don't, don't make it theological. Don't make it wordy. If God is real, would that change my reality? Would that change my church? Would that change my city? I believe he is real, and he's asking us to partner with him in his work, but it starts with us having a hunger for him. If we have a hunger for God, we get him and his kingdom and his discipleship and his power. But our hunger for him is primary. That's all I got for you. Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, would you this morning awaken some 
to their redemptive potential in you. Would you awaken people this morning to a vision of the kingdom of God, not for life after death, but for our life right now. And God, would you light a fire in our community and every individual's heart in this room to hunger and strive after you, Jesus. We believe you are real. We believe you love us. We believe you are constantly pursuing us, wanting to be with us. Would we do the same back to you? Would we run after the God who is always running after us? Holy Spirit, would you move as we worship together with kids and parents as a family? Would you break through? Would you bring joy? Would you bring peace, excitement, and energy to our community in a new way? I pray that the culture that you would begin to build as your spirit moves would be infectious, that people, as they come into our community, as they come into this room, wherever they stand with you, Father, they would feel the joy and the presence that we are experiencing as a community. Would that spill over into this church, into our city? Would it change reality? Would it change lives? God, as we look to the new year, would this define where we are going and how we're getting there? We pray this all in your name. We love you, Father. In your name we pray, amen. We desire to be formed by the word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.